If you could just paint it or design it from the beginning, I think turning the whole thing upside down and looking at only bringing people to hospital that if they really need to be in hospital and looking at what are the patient's needs or what are people's needs that are in the community? How do we bring care to them at a point of time in their condition where you can head it off before it becomes a disaster? Hello, I'm Dr. Amit Shetty. Welcome to the Future Health Podcast. This is a podcast about the way we work, the work we do, and how technology will influence the future of work in New South Wales Health and the healthcare industry as a whole. Our guest today is Jackie Domlish. She is the District Director, Allied Health at Western Sydney LHD. I look forward to discussing with her the role she thinks Allied Health will be playing in the future of healthcare delivery in New South Wales Health. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Emma. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming along and being involved in this podcast. Um, as you know, we're talking about the future of work and its impact on the way we work, the workforce and technology. Can you introduce yourself to us? Um, Give us a bit of your background. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is originally as an occupational therapist. I graduated Oh, 20 years ago now, so in the 2000, in my training at the University of Sydney. And I've worked in a number of different clinical settings over that time. So probably the first 10 years or so of my career, I was very um, passionately committed to clinical care, worked in Australia and the UK, and then came back again, um, learned a lot of things from working in a different health system. And my my professional clinical passions were around neurology and neurorehabilitation in stroke and brain injury motor neurone disease, degenerative conditions. Um, but I also had a, a big passion for education and training and so I found myself being drawn towards um, the Health Education and Training Institute where I was able to establish the, the first allied health portfolio of HETI, which is doing exceptionally well now with the team that are there. I uh, spent a couple of years at the ministry as the principal allied health advisor and it's been my pleasure to come out to Western Sydney as the district director of allied health, which I've been there for the last two years. So, Wow. Yeah. And how has the work changed over the time when you were first initially there as a clinician in the coal face and now as an administrator? Yeah, well, I think um, it's certainly been um, a bit of a transformation over the last 20 years. And I think from when I was at university and probably you also recall from your training, Amath, that that was really sort of at that time the beginning of evidence-based practice and evidence-based medicine and that um, much more, particularly for allied health, stronger focus on um, what interventions are effective and not effective. And in, in the last 20 years, we've seen the explosion of chronic health conditions and chronic disease globally, impact of mental health issues. And certainly having worked in the UK and also in Australia, um, learning about the different ways that systems respond to those challenges. And there is quite a big difference, I think, across the world around how that's occurred. And you know, transitioning from a clinician to an administrator is, is challenging in itself. It's not something that's automatic. And I think I've certainly learned that you have to work at it, you have to study, you have to learn how to think completely differently. I think as a clinician, you focus on what's in front of you, you have a lot of autonomy, you can make decisions and you have a lot of power in terms of that intervention 
with your patients and how effective you can be. But at a system level, there's so many other things to consider, lots of moving parts and levers and bureaucracy. And so it's a real skill in itself to be able to work in that environment, influence things and um, take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. So what would you say are your current biggest challenges in your job at Western Sydney? I think... um, probably not different to other LHDs, but certainly we have had some specific challenges around the culture across our district for a number of of reasons historically. But certainly the allied health workforce, when I came into the role, had had experienced a period of um, not having stable leadership, um, perhaps hadn't had much attention for the previous couple of years with the absence of um, my role that wasn't replaced for a couple of years. And so it certainly created a bit of an environment where there was a bit of work to do to sort of rebuild that structure. Um, I think that we've got some incredibly talented staff across New South Wales, but in Western Sydney in particular, I've been extremely impressed, particularly with the research outputs that are happening out there. We've got a very large um, population that is incredibly diverse, uh, richly diverse and wonderful, which is one of the, the benefits of working in Western Sydney. But really, I think, obviously, we hadn't done enough, if anything, to really support the Aboriginal population. There's been a lot of change in that space over the past couple of years. Our chief executive is an exceptional leader and very committed to ensuring that we're um, servicing the needs of that population. So I think for Allied Health in particular, it's been about empowering people to stand up and be strong and be proud of their capabilities, um, to use their voice and their influence in how they can assist our medical and nursing colleagues to solve problems. And me creating a leadership team across the district to identify what is our muscular contribution to the district. How do we use our expertise and our diversity of skill so that people understand what we're capable of doing and that we're a really serious player um, on the field to improve health outcomes for people um, in the district. Are you planning some experiments of sorts of those kinds? Yeah, so the, I suppose one of the first things I did um, coming into the role in, in addition to sort of working out who was who and establishing relationships was to partner with our leaders and also our, not just in allied health, but medical and nursing colleagues to establish what is now our three-year strategic plan for allied health. And that was produced with a thorough review of the statewide um, plans and initiatives and priorities, as well as what our local issues were. And we have a number of um, things we want to try and one of the areas is what our contribution is to preventing unnecessary admission to hospital. And my belief is allied health have a really critical role to play just ahead of that point of crisis just before we think someone's going to deteriorate to the point where they're going to require an admission and being able to identify those red flags really early so a couple of things that we've been doing um is we're about to launch a model of care to pilot for six months in Westmead and Blacktown hospitals called the RAID team, which is the Rapid Assessment Intervention and Discharge team. So in addition to having our primary contact physios, which deal with a lot of the musculoskeletal presentations and our social workers that deal with a lot of the traumatic presentations, is putting social work OT and physio into those environments to work in partnership with medical and nursing um, to to address those really complex multifactorial presentations to the ED that perhaps don't have really serious um, 
medical issues that require acute admission, but are complex enough that it requires a bit of a rapid, comprehensive review and support to return someone to the community. So that's about to commence, which we're really looking forward to. And not only is it about putting those skill sets in to diversify what's available in the ED, but it's looking at how we roster those professionals over seven days and extended hours, because we know we have a lot of challenges around emergency um, performance on the weekends, looking at transfer of care and our ETP targets. So um, we're hoping that we can make a difference and also provide that additional multidisciplinary support to our medicine and nursing colleagues. Some of the other things we've done, um, one of the privileges I have is being the executive sponsor of Leading Better Value Care for the district. So Allied Health has made a, a really big contribution to putting those models into place. And I'd have to say that was one of my biggest challenges coming into the district. We hadn't made as much progress in Western Sydney, but I'm pleased to say that over the last 12 months, we have in leaps and bounds and we're having a significant impact on um, reducing things like refracture for osteoporosis, um, reducing people needing to undergo surgery who have osteoarthritis um, of the knee and hip and also one of the areas which is not technically leading better value care but looking at neurosurgery prevention and early intervention with our advanced physiotherapy roles working with neurosurgery is reducing the waiting list significantly in terms of waiting times and giving access to evidence-based conservative treatment for people with chronic um, musculoskeletal and back pain with only four percent of patients ever needing to go on to have neurosurgery I think it's sort of stares you in the face that there needs to be another strategy and you know that's something we've been able to prove is effective. Well, that's good that'd be great to share with the borough community as well. Mm -hmm. um, you highlighted a very important point there around that critical point as an emergency physician myself and having worked in the hospital in the home space. It's about that what patients require to step down is also what is required to avoid them from stepping up. Mm. Um, for years, traditionally, we've provided post-acute community care, but that level of support is actually required to also avoid them from coming into hospitals. So I believe you're trying to do something in that space as well with the hospital and the home services. Yeah, absolutely. So I think hospital in the home is a really critical area for us in Western Sydney and, and there's certainly opportunities to really reshape that a little bit and harness what the role is. And so I'm working closely with the current director and the allied health staff in that team because you're right, often what happens is people have to come into the ED before they get compacts or before they get um, any kind of post-discharge support, whether they're admitted or not. But what happens before that? Why do they need to come to the emergency department in the first place? And um, in addition to being the director of allied health, I'm also the exec sponsor for disability and certainly spending some time with the directors of the emergency departments is that we have um, people with complex um, behavioural issues and other um, physical disabilities that really, they function best in their home environment. And unfortunately, the model of care for a lot of these patients is to turn up at the ED in, in an ambulance. And it makes it really difficult for the staff in the emergency department in that environment to provide the necessary treatment, um, which could potentially be provided at home. So a recent um, case that we, I worked really closely with Jeff Mifford, who's the current director, um, and now disability team. We had a lady who was 37 years old. She had a history of um, intellectual disability, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, severe behavioural issues. Was It was this in the middle of the COVID pandemic, was experiencing acute pain. She was um, 
urinating on the couch, which is, was a sign that she was in pain. She had um, bleeding from the rectum. She had, um, and her family was really concerned about what they were going to do. And they, they actually rang the ministry to ask for help because none of the GPs would go and see her. They were desperate to avoid emergency because the last time they took mm. her to emergency required police to physically remove her from the house. She had to be sedated. It was just traumatic for everybody involved. And getting a poor person like that into the ED at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday is an absolute That's disaster right. for everybody. So, you know, that was an example of where I put out a sort of a bat call to, to Jeff and said, help, like, I don't know what we're going to do here because I don't know how we're going to avoid this admission. And luckily we were able to harness um, some medical support from Heath Nursing and also our disability team to treat her in place. So she had um, bloods taken, she had um, a urine sample taken, all without sedation, all in her home environment, was treated um, for three days and then discharged. So that you know, that's a, a pretty extreme example, but that's the kind of thing we need to be rapidly responding to the needs yeah. of patients and looking at the safest place for them to be treated. Because as you probably know, Amos, sometimes the emergency department is the most dangerous place for people to be yeah. and they can come to much more harm coming into that environment than just being seen in their it's home environment. It's really good to hear that story, mm. especially knowing that I set up that service. Yes, so exactly, um, yeah. And, and yeah, and I think um, you highlighted that home-based care and out-of-hospital care and the challenges therein where care seems to be very hospital-centric. Mm. How do you see the future of care from your lens? Uh, How do you think it should be? I think, I mean, you know, if you could just paint it or design it from the beginning, I think turning the whole thing upside down and looking at only bringing people to hospital that if they really need to be in hospital and looking at what are the patient's needs or what are people's needs that are in the community? How do we bring care to them at a point of time in their condition where you can head it off before it becomes a disaster? It's that whole thing. My grandma always used to say to me, a stitch in time saves nine. And it's so true, like that case I just told you about, you know, the minimal trauma and effort that was required all it was was just someone to get in a car and drive there but the amount of time it took really if you look mm. at the whole situation wasn't that much um and so i think you know if we look at COVID as an example the front line even though the hospitals were a, a stressful place to be in was in the community so a lot of the pressure around keeping people out keeping people monitored was in the community and we had quite small numbers of resources really doing that um, across, you know, certainly in Western Sydney com comparatively to what resources we had in the hospital. And so, and I think it, it requires a bit of a mind um, shift, but to me, it's a no brainer. You know, the home is the best place for people. We know that people who are frail and elderly do better in their own environments. They become less confused. They're less risk of falls. They recover better in their own surroundings. We've seen that with patients that have had COVID, you know, it's better for them to be. We had like a 98-year-old that was in the community with COVID who was non-English speaking background, who had her family and her own food around her, who was much better managed there than trying to bring that person into a good. hospital. So, and I think that allied health is really the sort of silent achiever and doesn't often get a lot of attention. But this is our bread and butter. This is the thing we're really good at is helping people to function well in their home environments, to keep them out of hospital and to look at how we head off um, 
deterioration in people's function. So, I mean, for me, I think we should be trying wherever possible to provide the care outside of a physical building, moving away from building a big box of a hospital, filling it with stuff and then waiting for the customers to come. I think we need to go to the customers and work out and and work together. And I think that diversity of problem solving, and we've talked about this earlier, Amos, around medical and nursing have a critical role to play, but genuinely including the diversity of the allied health profession. So if we think of, you know, Western Sydney, we have huge burden of disease in chronic heart failure. We have three times the comorbidities um, than other LHDs. We have a younger population. And the things we know work are exercise, diet, um, and, you know, yes, we, we need to focus on the cardiology pointy end of stuff but how do we work together because there's certainly enough work for everybody Mm. it's like a tsunami of patients coming in but how do we work together to really go well who's who's best placed to treat people at what point in their care to head off the kind of tsunami of demand and avoid the number of people that need to be sitting in beds in the ed or in the hospital yeah and it comes from a mutual respect of each other's Mm. rules and specialties as well um for once i've always believed that as an emergency physician if I'm putting a cast on in in my department mm. there's seriously something wrong there mm. Mm. Um, but um, when knowing that someone is better qualified and would be a much better outcome for the patient at a much affordable cost uh, which is which is secondary mm. I think that the patient outcome is what is most important mm. it's, it's a no-brainer there too um, how do you see future technologies playing this in this space about care of patients at home and allied health care at home? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, one of the ultimates which we've seen talked about, I think it was in the UK recently, was jetpacks and, and strapping jetpacks to paramedics. So, you know, Graham and I talk about putting jetpacks on allied health staff and having these flying squads, which would be amazing, but we probably need to start small and then work up to that. So I think... COVID's given us a great opportunity to try telehealth and we've certainly had um, a big uptake in that from the allied health professions. That's one of the things we did incredibly well and across our chronic um, disease portfolios, drug and alcohol did booming numbers of occasions of service by changing their models of care, as did our leading point of a care portfolio. So keeping people out of hospital, really challenging ourselves, do they need to come in? Um, And we're trying to stick some of that now that we go back in to semi-business as usual. But there is some exciting things, I think, on the horizon that would be good to play with. And I think it's about, it's not one size fits all, but looking at, well, what's the continuum of care, perhaps starting with a, a group of patients that is slightly more predictable and looking at things like wearable technology, interface with apps and exercise programs and sort of pairing individual plus group consultations and looking what's required. So one of the areas I'm really keen to have a look at, which is a statewide priority, is the osteoarthritis chronic care program. And sitting back and looking at our resources within Western Sydney, we will have people that are being referred into that program from their general practitioner, doing the hydrotherapy or land-based therapy program and their diet um, and, and exercise, 
And some of that had to go online during COVID. So challenging ourselves to go, what can go online and what can stay face to face? But then as they do prepare for their surgery, partnering with our HITH teams, hospital in the home, that can do some of the pre-surgical home visits with the OT and then minimise the length of stay in hospital. And then when they get out of hospital, you know, looking at the risk approach if we've got people that are pretty straightforward that don't need two home visits, they yeah. might just need a telehealth consult and a home exercise program and versus really complex patients that might need more than that. So if we polish up that continuum and think, well, what can we do virtually and what can we do face-to-face within existing resources, I think that would be a really good opportunity. The other thing around wearables is I know um, – our metabolic clinics working with the exercise physiologists and dietetics are looking at the use of Fitbits to monitor Mm. people's activity levels. And actually I saw a really interesting um, research proposal the other day that came through from mental health and psychology looking at wearing, again, the Fitbits to monitor agitation and activity Mm. levels in line with people's medication for people that are aggressive or agitated within inpatient mental health units. So quite a novel approach, but still something that gives you a bit of um, quantitative information to then be able to make some decisions based on people's care. Um, And I think the other exciting thing, it's not necessarily specific to allied health, but there is some trials about to commence in Western Sydney around wearable technology in the hospital and home service, again, to keep people out and monitor people's, you know, basic vital yep. signs yep. Um, and if you're pairing that with sort of exercise prescription and other things then you know makes for a much better sort of outcome for patients and, and staff mm. yeah the other thing that's kind of cool is um, the physios I think are looking at things like QR codes to put on people's casts in the ED with care care information about how to take care of casts and what to do and when to come back to hospital so we're excited we've, we've set up our um, we've got an allied health data quality and digital health committee in western sydney and so all of these sort of ideas are now going to come through that central governance group yeah, i always thought physiotherapists yep. are engineers so they should be should have those skills and yep. it's almost like there is no one glove fits all mm. and having the options of different therapies and being able to plug and play what option works best for a patient yep. um, some might need aggressive care versus some might need one telephone call Mm. but it's about having the whole range of options available and not treating everyone with the same set of tools that just because that's the only tool we've got yeah Um, what do you think would be some of the enablers for you to get to that point where you want to be Mm. and what do you see as your current barriers Mm. I think um the enablers I've seen certainly in Western Sydney is I'm lucky that I've got a workforce that has a really strong can-do attitude. Like I've been really impressed with what is there and this um, genuine passion and almost a competitive spirit to get the best outcome for a patient. It's almost like, you know, an, an athlete, like pushing themselves to their best of their abilities. And so to me, the enabler is I've got a lot of latent talent and skill that's sitting there that doesn't cost any more money to be able to recognise and push to the top of its scope of practice. And so I see my role as being able to harness that, identify those real gems in my workforce that can, in their existing roles, push their scope of practice. One of the barriers to that is having that genuine collaboration and relationship with our medical and nursing colleagues so that we're we're saying, well, 
we've all got really specialist skills, but how do we play this to the best of our strengths so that, you know, Amith, you're using your expertise in the right Mm. spot and it'll probably take, as you say, a physio might take 15 minutes to do a cast and it might take you 30 minutes. You could probably do it, but they're doing it more frequently. It'll be quicker for them to do and then you can go and, you know, help resuscitate that person over there with a cardiac, you know, event. So, and I think... um, And so I've seen, I think the positives are within the allied health professions, what we've what we do quite well and what I'm trying to encourage my staff to do is identify, depending on where you're working, so whether you're in the emergency department or you're in the community, is working out where do you need to really flex your specialist muscle and where are some areas for efficiency that you can cross over and work across the spectrum of your scope of practice. So Going back to hospital in the home as an example, the physios and OTs have a really good relationship. They work across the spectrum of, you know, there's sort of a pointy end of physio and a a pointy end for OT and there's a bit of a crossover in between. And so someone's had a total knee replacement or a hip replacement, there's probably some fairly basic things that are required that really the physio could do. You don't need both the physio and the OT to go out, but that requires mutual respect and communication and just using resources more efficiently. So I think we're doing that quite, starting to do that quite well amongst the allied health professions. I think where the challenge is, is with our medical and nursing colleagues. And we do have some champions definitely on both sides that, love working with, you know, our exercise physiologists or our physios or our dietitians and would do anything to have more of them. But we have others that like to keep, you know, protect their area of specialty and perhaps aren't clear about what people's roles are. And and I think it's yeah. more to do with ignorance of those roles mm. rather than uh, maybe protectionism as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. I, I think... It sounds like you're on a great journey there at Western Sydney and it'd be great to under- see how it adds off in the next couple of years. Mm. Is there any other final thoughts you would like to share about the future of work? Well, I think the future of work is exciting and I think the key aspects are agility and flexibility and and being really, you know, honest with ourselves about what's needed. Yes, there's a lot of political and other you know, interferences and there's power and there's roles creep and all of that kind of stuff. But if we're really going to make a difference to the population, we've shown we can do that through COVID by just banding together, looking at the evidence, what do the patients need, where are the skills, how do we wrap that around people? I think we can do it. And the other thing I'd like to say is that um, I think as a system, we need to be thinking seriously about what our performance targets are. What is it that really measures the health of the population and how can we do that outside of just the emergency department, upstream, chronic disease, prevention, and and focusing on diversity of skill sets rather than sort of the, the easy traditional option, which is just doctors and nurses. They're fantastic, but we have a rich workforce that yeah. is already there with latent talent that I think we need to harness and exploit a bit more. Uh, most definitely, yeah. And having outcome measures, health outcome measures rather than performance metrics is yeah. probably a good step forward to it. Yeah, value-based um, thank, care. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for coming today and sharing your views. Good luck with your journey. Thank you, Amit. Thank you. So that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for joining me on the show. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to like, share and subscribe on whatever platform you are on right now.